share a couple of those things with you. And this is from uh, Pastor Josh at Pittsburgh. This past month, we had the joy of returning to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, for the annual conference sponsored by our senior church and Anchor in Truth called the Truth Church Conference. The way I usually describe it to people is that it's sort of like a pastor's conference, mission conference, and a family reunion all rolled up into a three-day event. Since the conference had to be canceled last year due to COVID, it was even more of a blessing to be a part of it this year. The fellowship of like-minded brothers and sisters was incredible, and the preaching was spot on. While I was gone, others in our church were busy helping out at a local food pantry. Unlike other food pantries in our area, this pantry doesn't receive any government or secular funding. So as to make sure that there are no limitations placed on the pantry orders. We brought and distributed numerous gospel tracts while we were there. We also helped out again next week and have plans to help out next month as well. Our congregation also did a food drive to support this family. In addition, we kicked off our community group semester. We do three semesters each year, each lasting about 12 weeks, so as to make it easy uh, for folk, new folks to join. And by God's grace, over 50 people signed up for this semester, a new record for us. As far as prayer requests go, please pray for us to be able to start more evangelistic Bible studies. We only have one or two, uh, one or two very small studies going on right now, which is significantly less it's difficult to discern the reasons for this uh, decrease, though one distinct possibility is that COVID has simply made folks more standoffish about relationships in general. Whatever the issue, please pray that God would open doors and give our people a deep hurt, a deep burden and passion to reach out to those they know with the saving message of Jesus. Please pray also for the uh, renovations which continue. We now have a team of people working on the renovations instead of just Paul, including an architect, project manager, and the retired owner of a large garage door insulation company. The architect has been especially helpful and is starting to take more and more ownership of the project, which is a tremendous blessing. All of these people are internal to our church. However, the challenge is that it looks like the remaining renovations will cost more than originally anticipated, so please pray for wisdom and provision as we proceed forward. As always, thank you so much for your faithful prayers and support. They mean the world to us, and I undoubtedly look forward to all the blessings we've seen so far. Serving Him, Josh and Becky. We mentioned um, the preaching at the conference for the event. It was, it was spot on. There's one particular message from the conference that really stood out to me and has remained on my mind and in my heart uh, in the weeks since we've uh, returned home. And remember, this is, by and large, um, a group of pastors, uh, church plant pastors, um, their families, that sort of thing. That's who's being preached to.
changing uh, society. This is from Proverbs chapter 23, and this is verse 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. All of these things are desperately essential to pastoring a church in any time. Obviously, this time is no different. But they're also important to every one of us, all the, all the believers, when we have to be in the world and not of it. At any cost, buy, acquire, attain truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. You'll find truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding in the Word of God as God's revealed it to us. There, there are a lot of places that you can go and attend a service this morning where the banner of evangelistic church is, is what, they'll be, what they'll be under. Uh, folks calling themselves evangelists. Um, but there's a lot of what I call Jesus talk in churches today, straight out of pulpits today, that the truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding were not bought at any cost, and so they'll sell them for a price. And a lot of the Jesus talk is Christ as Savior. Everybody wants Christ as Savior, but Christ has to be Lord and Savior. The Lord part's a lot harder. And remember that as you go through the week. Uh, we all are called in our day-to-day -day lives to share our faith, to be a light for Christ. Um, but Christ has to be your Lord if he's to be your Savior. Let's pray for our folks uh, in Anchored in Truth, uh, for Josh and Becky, um, for a number of different uh, pastors and missionaries that we know and we support, that, um, that they will buy truth, the truth of the word, that what they would preach to their people would be the word, and that they wouldn't sell it for any price, no matter the pressure that's put on them to wax and wane and, and, and be easy about truth, that they would stick to it. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning for another opportunity to gather, to be with our, uh, our fellow believers, with these folks that we love so dearly, for the occasion to praise you, to worship you, Lord, in song, in the reading of your word, in the teaching of your word. Lord, we pray that, uh, that we would all be built up and strengthened uh, through this time, that we would glorify you with our time. And Lord, we do pray for uh, the work being done in Pittsburgh, that you would continue to provide opportunities for them to, um, to teach and preach truth. And we do pray for, for Pastor Josh, I think of uh, Pastor Blake Keenum in Canada, um, so many of these, uh, these folks, you know them all, Lord, and we pray that they would hold fast to the truth that, that you've, you've given them, um, the truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding that they would every day be rooted in that and that be what they convey 
uh, in the world. There's no other way, Lord, to save souls than to preach Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. And despite constant um, onslaught of other ideas and uh, other opportunities, Lord, that may be tempting, I pray for these men as I pray for our own pastor that every opportunity they get to stand in front of a congregation, that what they would have for them is none other than Christ and him crucified. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. I always enjoy our mission moments, so thank you, Isaac, for that. Um, let's stand again, take our hymn books, and turn to number 462, and we'll sing, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be wary in well-doing. 462. <clears throat> oh, land of rest for the high side, with the moment come when I shall at home we'll work till Jesus comes we'll work till Jesus comes we'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home to Jesus Christ I fled for rest he bade me cease to roam and lean for comfort on his breast till he conducts me home. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered. Sing the chorus one more time. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll Till Jesus comes, we'll work. Till Jesus comes, and we'll be gathered home. Amen. 169. Turn to 169. We'll sing, What Wondrous Love Is This? For God loved the world, and this way he gave his one and only Son. Amen. Oh, my soul, what wondrous love is this? 
On page 500 with the Pew Bibles, our scripture reading will be from Psalms 100 and 101. Now, there's some tonal differences between 100 and 101, but I'll make a brief comment on uh, 100. Uh, a good way to illustrate the structure is a pattern that's clear in the short two verses in Psalm 117. As the first verse is a command to praise the Lord, praise the Lord all you nations, and the second verse is the reason why, for great is his steadfast love towards us. And you see the same kind of a structure here in Psalm 100. There's uh, several, five different commands to worship at the beginning of the psalm. Make that joyful noise, serving with gladness, come into the presence with singing, and three is a profound one, no that he is Yahweh, he is God, it is he who made us. Think about how much is wrong with the world because uh, those that rebel against the, the knowledge that he has made us and also enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Now, it's not a one-to-one -one correspondence because we're not Jewish people coming into a temple, uh, but uh, it, they, these are people coming into worship, into the presence of God uh, with thanksgiving in their heart. Now, we had a terrible morning, uh, but we are here to worship, and we have much to be thankful about. I remember seeing those videos of uh, the maybe people who are uh, on uh, the Black Friday when they open the doors and everyone with uh, the lust for getting the TV cheap would just burst in with excitement out of greed. 
but we should uh, enter in with sober thankfulness. Oh, and not like a, I've had a charismatic pastors that would, you know, say like, I'm watching when you worship, you better dance. You better dance like crazy because I'm watching you. <laughs> not, not like that, but uh, we should have, uh, it actually commands our emotions in, in the Psalms, and we should have uh, joy when we enter in. Uh, after I preached on Psalm 100 in Korea, they put up verse 4 on, on the doorway, enter in, uh, above the sanctuary, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And similarly to Psalm 117, the reason there is at the end, for the Lord is good, is steadfast love endures forever. Amen. So let's read the word of God. Psalm 100, the ESV title, His Steadfast Love Endures Forever. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 101, ESV title, I Will Walk with Integrity. A Psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, and they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have so many things to be thankful for. Uh, Help us to see uh, that every good and perfect gift does come from you uh, as we worship you today. Uh, We thank you that we've also been instructed to give uh, throughout Scripture with uh, what we're able to and with willingness and with thankfulness as well. Uh, Help us to uh, worship as we give, and we pray that uh, what they didn't even have a clear picture of in the Old Testament of this great commission. Uh, They knew that uh, every uh, the nations of the world were uh, pagan fakes and that there was one true God. But now we know of this gospel that can save the nations. And I thank you that we have uh, the missions partnerships that we do. Help us to pray uh, and give to those efforts for your kingdom. So we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, John chapter 20. I've got a few more things to say about the declaration of blessing that Jesus gave, and really it applies to all who come to him by faith. The key is in verse 29. He says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus asks Thomas a question. Have you believed because you have seen me? And as we unpack that, it's really not sight that brings about faith. It is the supernatural work of God's grace. Jesus then proclaims this blessing and said, Blessed are all of those who really, who have not seen, those who will come about to love Christ through the proclamation of his word. This statement of blessing reminds me of the teaching that Christ would give to his disciples when he described the condition of those who were regenerate and those who manifest that they are regenerate. I'll read you a selection just to make some notes about the blessed state, if you will. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? You can find it in Matthew 5. Christ goes up and he talks about this state and he says, blessed are the poor In spirit, it's just a way of describing someone who is regenerate. Why are they blessed? (coughs) Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But they might mourn, but they're still blessed. Why? Because they will be comforted. This is the promise of Christ. They might be meek, but yet they are blessed because they will inherit the earth. They might desire, and indeed they do, Christ. They desire to be filled. They they hunger and they thirst, and yet they will be satisfied, therefore blessed. The blessed are merciful, and they are blessed because they will receive mercy. Pure in heart, a desirous of that state, and they will actually see God. They're peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. They may be persecuted for their righteousness, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. This is a great blessed state. And so his admonition in teaching his disciples then is to do what? To rejoice and to be glad. Jesus taught his disciples to look beyond whatever burden they might have to bear in this temporal life to the blessings that are those that are in Christ Jesus. What will follow the cross is a crown of glory. An exaltation for all of those that are in Christ that is literally out of this world. You couldn't imagine what this would be like, and so he must teach them. 
and teach them that they are indeed are blessed. This is the state of all who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what might be going on in your life, whatever you might be dealing with, you're indeed blessed. This is limited, however, to those who truly believe. To those who truly have faith in Christ. But the benefits of this are unlimited. And that's really what I want us to focus on this morning. The benefits of the blessed. We need to take a running start of this and just read it in context, although I'm just going to focus on this last phrase found in verse 29, but to remind you where we have been and put this setting in which Christ says this. This is here another post-resurrection appearance of Christ, and specifically he addresses Thomas in verse 24. Let me read the context and then cite our phrase that we'll focus on this morning. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That is the prior time. So the other disciples, they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands in the mark of, of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. <laughs> you know the rest of the story, don't you? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord, And my God. And then Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Think about it. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let us pray. Father, we have not seen the physical resurrected Christ, but we absolutely believe. We truly believe. I pray that we would believe all the promises that are in Christ Jesus, all you have granted to us. And as we review them even now from your word, may your people truly learn to count their blessing in this blessed state in Christ Jesus. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This state of the believer, this state, I call the state of blessing, if you will, as we've Previously noted, this comes about by faith, not by sight. I think that really answers that somewhat rhetorical question Jesus asked Thomas, because as we've noted before, remember, he didn't actually put his hand into the nail prints or into his side, as he said, and as he confessed, I will never believe unless I do that. It's a foolish statement. Christ invites him, and yet His response to the very word of Christ is what? My Lord and my God. Faith comes about 
by the miraculous work of God's grace, mercy, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus describes this state, and this is what we're going to focus on and unpack it to a greater degree, is he, wants this, he focuses on this state in which he calls blessed or blessed. This is a great state of being in which all Christians, all those that are in Christ right now, even you, you're in a great state of blessing. It is easy to be overwhelmed by many other things that might distract you in life and take away from your reflection on the blessing that is in Christ Jesus. In our hymn book, 585, I think it is, there's a little hymn in there called Count Your Blessing. You ever heard of that one? 585, I think. Yeah. When upon life's billows you're tempest tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. This song is in my memory from long ago, and I've heard it and sung it many times. When you sing through it, and some of these hymns can be this way, it might sound a little trite, a little cliched, a little Christian-ish, you know, Count your blessings one by one, and maybe you're carrying around some big burden, and it's hard to count your blessings. But this isn't trite. This isn't cliché. This is actually very meaningful. And I think this is a good admonition to do, and that is to simply take time, rather than to count your burdens, your load of care, focus on counting the blessings that are yours in Jesus Christ. They are more numerable than you could imagine. And this morning, really, this week and, quite frankly, next week, because I want to expand on this, I want to focus on the blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus. I'd like to enumerate some of those blessings. These blessings that are brought about by faith. These blessings are rooted in faith. And in the Gospel of John, this is a book that focuses on one of the aspects, and we'll see how this unfolds, of faith. In fact, if you read through the Gospel of John, you're going to find faith or belief. That's the synonym used in English. This is the objective here. It is to bring about Belief or faith, remember 2031. These things are written so that you would believe. By believing, you're going to have life, and that indeed would be a blessing. Faith in John is, interesting enough, not in the subject form. It's always presented in the verbal form, pistuo. It, it conveys an action of the mind. That's not all that faith is, but he's not talking just about a subject of belief or a subject of faith, but an active, not passive, 
idea of the mind in which you engage. I want to focus, not that this is the sum total of the blessings, but at least 10 key passages in John, and hence you'll know why I need two weeks to do this. Because it's hard not to stop and look at each one to some degree. And that's what I intend to do and hopefully get through at least half of them this morning. James Boyce has written a good commentary on the Gospel of John. I highly recommend it. It's not really a traditional commentary per se. It's just his sermons, which are excellent, that are then put in a book form and hence a commentary on the Gospel of John. I read his sermons all the time, particularly as I'm going through the Gospel of John. And the way I do it, I have to read it early in the week and not take notes. Because if I took notes and if I read it later in the week, then all you would get every week is James Boyce's sermon. <laughs> so, which would not be a bad idea, really, actually. But um, I have to sometimes allow the word to, to work in my mind. Um, so that it comes from my heart and so on study, but I really have benefited from his preaching through the written uh, word to me on a regular basis. But occasionally, he has something so interesting that um, I might need to use it as a guideline, and here is one. He uh, pulled out ten particular passages of God's blessings that are in the Gospel of John. Again, I'm not suggesting this is all there is. I'm just suggesting these are some notable passages and might help us then, and I'll expand on them, but help us to count our blessings. On the back of your worship folder, you have a place for notes. I suggest you write at least the idea of each one of these blessings and see if how uh, amazing the Lord really is in the blessing that he has blessed us with in Christ Jesus. These 10 passages that I'll look at as our primary focus over the next week or two, they're all written here as faith is expressed, as I mentioned, in the verbal form. It is eight of times it's an active participle. Another time it's a subjunctive because it's asking, it's in response to a particular question. But the, and the other time is, is an imperative command, just says to believe continually. This belief, this active belief, a verbal form of faith, is an expression brought about by the Holy Spirit to which manifold blessings are granted to those that are in Jesus Christ and therefore said to be blessed. This statement that Jesus is making here at the end of John's gospel about blessing is really a culmination of all that has been said thus far and really what Christ has taught his disciples. And it's simply this, that you're blessed. Who is blessed? Those that believe. Those that have come to faith in Christ and are actively then engaged in considering 
or counting or remembering or reveling in the blessings that are in Christ Jesus. This is woven through the Gospel of John. Let's enumerate a few blessings this morning. Number one, it is by faith, this active faith and belief in Christ Jesus, that we become children of God. Jump back to Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 12. The text reads, But all who did receive him, who, and here's the word, believed in his name. This is the active belief, that is, ongoing belief, engaging in the mind, who have believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. This phrase here at beginning of verse 12, where it says receive, it means to take hold of. In, con- in context here, in this passage, as we've, this is a review for many, but it's been a while since we're in chapter 1. It's in contrast, those that receive are, is in contrast who, to those who have Rejected. Notice the text. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's parallel to the idea of receive. They didn't receive him. They didn't know him. Here, God, the creator of heaven and earth, then comes, takes on flesh. It is in the world, and yet there's a sense in which all of the world, right, primarily... Reject him. They don't receive him. He isn't crowned the Lord of glory in his incarnation when he comes to earth. For the most part, he is rejected by all. More specifically, verse 11 here, then it narrows it down out of that world, all of the people, he comes to his own, and own people is implied in the text, and our translators put it there, which is good. He comes to his own. What is his own? The Jewish nation. That's what he's saying. And even the Jewish nation do not receive him. You know how it's demonstrated? We've already been to there, right, at the cross. Here you have the Jewish nation against him. They're rejecting him. They want to crucify him. And then the whole world really is against him. There's no one standing up for this innocent man. You have Pilate wiping his hands and I can't do anything about it. And yet he's the judge of all that land and certainly he could have done something about it. He doesn't. He gives in to the peer pressure of the people. So they all reject him, the, the Jewish nation specifically, the world in general. But, and that's the contrast here, and that's why this but is put in there in verse 12. Notice, all who did receive. There is a different group. In fact, should I say this? There aren't only two groups, really, in the world right now. We're worried about all kinds of groups these days, right? Everyone's got their own little consistency. Can I tell you what? There's two groups, those that believe and those who do not. That's it. And that's all that ultimately matters. Nothing else really matters. Well, no wonder Satan would want you to be confused and concerned and go all about all this other stuff. 
Not that there's, these other things aren't somewhat important. There are some factors that might be of benefit important. But can I tell you this? There is nothing more important than this. All who did receive him. This is a way of saying, it's not emphasizing something that you must do. It's a description of what has been done as opposed to reject is someone that received. And this next phrase here in verse 12 describes it. Who are those that receive? And those who believed in his name. Those who come to Jesus Christ by faith. Who are believing. In fact, it is the, you could translate it, it's awkward in English, but the, the believing ones is the idea. Belief is active. It is continuous. It is not faith, an expression, and a commitment to the past of something that you, you did and fulfilled, and you, you checked off the list, and you got that, that done. That, that had nothing to do with it. It has to do with right now, this present disposition of heart. And should I challenge you, if you were young and you made some commitment and you crossed uh, some uh, uh, form out and filled that out and walked forward and then nothing changed in your life, that, that's not talking about faith in Christ. That's not talking about genuine belief. It's an expression of the heart and examine your heart right now because those that are blessed are those who are the believing ones. It doesn't mean mean your faith might wax and wane a little bit, for sure. But there's always something right there. It is as if somebody is alive and you throw them in in the deep sea. They may be sinking under from time to time, but they're still paddling to the surface and gasping for breath. You have to see some signs of life. These believing ones have a content to their belief It isn't some religious organization or some ritual or rite that they perform. They believe what? In his name. And that is all that Christ is. All that Christ commands. And all that Christ promises. All of them. That's what you believe. And to that person who is believing, this believing one, then they have this right and privilege. And here's your blessing, beloved. Never forget, you have the right and privilege to become children of God. This is the supernatural birth into a different family, if you will. It's a great analogy, something we understand because we understand family. This birth, however, is, is again, it's, it's not done by some sort of organization or some stamp that somebody puts on your confession here. This is a supernatural work. If you're in chapter 1 and you're at 12, look at the very next verse. It explains what this birth is about. It's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not even of the will of man, but of God. That's what I mean by supernatural birth. You do respond in faith 
And the faith response is an evidence of this new birth. Physically, we know that we, we really, as human beings, I, I know say and control about my birth. I, I just one day recognized that, that I was. I was alive at some point in time and came to my awareness. But beyond that, I know nothing more. And this is the idea here of a spiritual birth, a good analogy. Jesus would tell Nicodemus, remember in chapter 3, he said, Nicodemus, by the way, would have been a very upright, very moral, very religious, very right before the whole world eyes. And Jesus said, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. It's a play on words, Anathan there, again. It means not only a second time, of course, but also from above. That is, supernaturally. then those that have this supernatural birth have a birth certificate, if you will, in heaven that says this, child's father, God. Now, many people are naturally enamored with their family history. And perhaps you have a great pedigree. Can I tell you this? There's no greater pedigree than to be a child of God. There is no greater heritage than to be a child of God. There is no greater inheritance than to be the child of God. There is no greater honor than to say, This is my Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand the blessing that you have if you are just a very wee little believer? If you just came to faith in Christ, you are a child of God. And no matter how great your physical inheritance and your physical heritage and all of that might be, no matter how great your name might be, or on the reverse, how awful it might be, and how poor things might be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't compare to be a child of God. That puts us in a unique relationship, not only with God, beloved, but also with each other. Because everyone who comes to faith in Christ is equally a child of God. Jesus taught about this supremacy of our spiritual bond. Remember a passage in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus' biological mother and his biological brothers came to see him. And if you remember at that time, his biological brothers were unbelievers. But these people thought that, well... Jesus was in a meeting and that these, his mother and his brothers, might have some sort of precedent and come in because they're, after all, they're family, aren't they? His response to them was, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
ultimately, that's what he's looking at. Beyond the temporal, he's looking to the eternal. And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He creates a unique relationship that we call a church. It isn't a building. It is a membership of a household of God. This is why we go through a process when people come to be a part. We ask them, are you really a child of God? Are you a part of this family? This is a description of the church. Paul would tell the church at Galatia that we should do good for everybody, Galatians 6.10, but especially those who are of the household of faith. This is a unique group, children of God, who gather together. I'm not trying to suggest that you diminish your own households and your own responsibilities. You have those, but those are all temporal. This is eternal, this household of God. Paul would tell the church at Ephesus in chapter 2 and verse 19 that you're not strangers anymore. No, those who have faith in Christ, you're not outsiders. You're not aliens, if you will. You are fellow citizens and saints that is declared to be holy and members of the household of God. Count your blessings. The first one you should count on is that you are a child of God if you have faith in Christ. And that would probably be good enough to stop right there, wouldn't it? But there's more. Second, and one of our beloved verses, John 3, 16, you can pull it up. It's helpful to look at the text, even though you have it memorized. The second blessing we like to enumerate, it, that it is through faith that you have something called eternal life. It would be good enough just to be a child of God, but beyond that, pedigree, you have life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, same verbal idea, whoever has this continuous belief, confession of faith in Christ, should not perish, but have eternal life. These believing ones, that's the focus, God has blessed with life. This love, this active aspect of God, he loved the world, that is, mankind in general, and specifically applied to his children, you can use synonyms for this love to understand it, unpack it. How about this? God so mercied. God so graced. God so remained faithful to his promises. God so patiently endured. God granted kindness. And we can go on and on and on, wrapped up in the single word of love. He graced them mercy, was patient with them so that they would have, note here, eternal life. At first blush, you might just think, oh, well, then we can live forever. It's not focusing on 
living forever per se. It's talking not so much about the quantity of time, but the quality of life. It, it is said so in here in contrast to the idea of death. Notice they won't perish. Instead, they'll have eternal life or eternal blessings. It is by faith, then, that you can count not temporal blessings, but eternal blessings that far transcend. This life, then, that is granted is life in the presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever. Remember one of our memory verses, Psalm 1611? In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand, or what? Pleasures forevermore. Do you like pleasure? It's okay. God has wired us for pleasure. We enjoy pleasure. I like when my team that I'm rooting for wins. Right? I I like to eat a good meal. Shouldn't have said that. You guys might bail on me. Getting hungry. Oh, we could go down the list of what we like as far as pleasures. But all of those are just a glimpse of what awaits. You don't have the physical capacity to enjoy the presence of God, the fullness of it. It is frightful for a sinful man to see the glory of God manifest. This is why every appearance in that sense God would have to say, don't fear. Or even when Christ shows up, he tells them, peace with them, be with them, right? In the eternal state, you'll have the capacity and ability to enjoy this fullness and joy and fullness of pleasure in a glorified state. I like to call it an eternal jaw drop. And you'll never get bored because his mercies are new every day and every morning. We, we, we like new stuff. It, it, it gets boring. This is not going to be boring. You'll never exhaust it. It's infinite. It's eternal. It's, it's not measurable. It isn't that, okay, I've got so much of this and this is all I can handle. No, you can handle more. And the, you're not going to run out because there's an ever-increasing supply. God is infinite. This is what is promised. It's eternal life. It is eternal life with God and not going to a place per se. Sure, there's described as heaven as a place that helps us think about what? The presence of God. The, the, the place would mean nothing if God wasn't there. Remember John chapter 14. Jesus tells his disciples to not let their hearts be troubled. They're going to have a lot of trouble. Believe in God. That is... Put your faith in God. Count your blessing. What's your blessing in this eternal state? He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. It isn't that you're going to have some little place down the street. No, you're in the Father's house. You're with God. That's the point. He says, and I go to prepare a place for you. This is Christ's promise that you'll have eternal life with God. And if I go, which he did go, is he here? No, he's gone, right? He says, if I go, that is a demonstration of the fact that I am going to come again and take you to myself. 
so that where I am, you can be also. This is the eternal life that's promised in Christ. This is why we pray and why the book of Revelation ends, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that we can be with him. This is what he promises. And what a great blessing it is to be a child of God. What a great blessing, far unimaginable, to have this kind of life that awaits you. Third, it is by faith, and this follows, it's alluded to already in our text in 316, but as we're counting our blessing, let's count the fact that those who have faith in Christ, by faith, are delivered from judgment. 524 in John. Jesus says, truly, truly, this is verily, verily, amen, amen, this is of absolute certainty is why he puts it here. You need to know this. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He's already said that, says it again. And then here's the emphasis. He, he, that person, does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Notice in the text here it says, who hears my my word. That, that, again, is parallel with the idea of believe. This is hearing, not in just hearing what somebody says verbally or has written down. It isn't an intellectual assent only. It, it has to have that, for sure. But it's beyond that. It is hearing that is expressed by obedience. When mama calls out the door for the kid to come home, says, do you hear me? Of course he hears him, but he says... Demonstrated by obeying, that's the point. Submitting, in this case, to a sovereign Lord. Belief, as I've mentioned here, is a disposition of the mind. We use the word heart, it's focused on the mind. You have a change of mind. Continually changed. A belief. Not because it's some sort of criteria to be maintained, but it is a demonstration of somebody that is truly alive in Christ and has genuine belief. Well, what is the blessing? They won't come into judgment. It's guaranteed. Really? Yeah. Christ already died. He already took on all judgment. You're worthy of judgment. And from time to time, you recognize, I'm still worthy of judgment. But if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How could he possibly do that? Because on the cross, he said, it's finished. The judgment put on him. Jesus truly did pay it all. Therefore, those that are in Christ have no condemnation. Doesn't matter what the devil says. Doesn't matter what your own struggling faith might say. What matters is what Christ said. And he said, it's finished. Paul would tell the church at Colossians 1.13 that he has then delivered us already from this domain of darkness and transferred us into this domain of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the once and for all 
accomplishment that is in Christ Jesus that is a a blessing for which you can count on for others. Forever, should I say. But let me also give a warning to you and to those that you might minister to in sharing the gospel that all others, unbelievers, those who did not receive him, those who rebel and reject and continue, it is great judgment on you by this very one, Jesus Christ. Now, drop down to 525. Another truly, truly. Another certainty of certainties. There's an hour coming, and it's really now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear will live. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. That's the only way you're going to find life is in Christ. And note this, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. This is the imagery from Daniel. The sovereign God who has the authority of judgment. Yeah. Christ has all authority. He has the judgment in his hands. He says, don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming. There is a future day when all the tombs will hear his voice. And they'll come out. Those who have done good, and in context here, the good is not their righteous deeds, right? What's the good? The good is faith. The, the, The good is the expression of belief. The good is the receiving of Christ. We've already talked about how does that come about. It is through his work. But but they've demonstrated in their life, this is the good he's talking about, faith, belief. They'll go, this group will go, this is talking about the eschaton, the end of the age, there will be a resurrection of what? Of life. Eternal life. But great warning. And this is the blessing that you have. You don't have to worry about this part. And those who have done evil, that is, they have rejected Christ, unbelief, unbelievers, they will go to the resurrection of judgment. Oh, they will eternally exist, eternally exist in death and judgment because that rebellion of God will never cease. It isn't a matter of punitive time in which they'll change their mind. No, without God's grace and favor granted to them, those will remain in that condition and be contend, condemned to eternal judgment. Beloved, the verdict is already in. The judgment has already taken place. It's just a matter of this sentencing. And the sentencing time will await. And there will be two groups of people, those who believe and those who un disbelieve, right? Those who receive and those who reject. It is a great blessing to be spared from that judgment that Christ took on his body on the tree on our behalf. So count your blessing, child of God. Count your blessing, eternal life, like you could never imagine. And count your blessing, though you are worthy of great judgment. Christ has taken it all on him. Number four, 
I want you to count a blessing of satisfaction in Christ, not in the future date at some point in time. Yes, think about that. But also for the Christian, for those who have faith in Christ, you have a blessing now, N-O-W. This satisfaction even right now, 635. And here he uses an illustration of it. it. It helps us to think about Christ in this manner. He says to them in 635, if you remember, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You ever get hungry? You ever thirst? Say daily. He's talking about your spiritual satisfaction, not your physical. If you hunger, you have a source to go to, to be nourished. If you thirst, you you have a place to drink. It is Christ. And for those that are in Christ, they have that, and no one else really does. They, They have their imagination of Christ, a superficial idea, but they don't really know him. He was in the world, and nobody knew him. He even came to his own people, and they didn't receive him. But those who did, he will satisfy you even now. Clara Williams in 1875 wrote to him, All my life I had been longing for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I'm now saved well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. I pray that you will find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. There's no ultimate satisfaction outside of him. Remember Jesus confronting the woman at the well in John 4, communicated that same idea about drink. And he says in 4.14, if you, if, you, if you only knew who I am, you would ask me for satisfaction of drink. He says, whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of well of well water welling up to eternal life. This is a promise, then, what Jesus gives. How will he satisfy you? He'll give you through the giving of the Holy Spirit, which he has promised. When he leaves, he will send the Holy Spirit. And it is from that, this Holy Spirit, then, would dwell in the life of the believer that these blessings, then, would flow and out of their life. What blessings? Well, one of them we call them the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just an example of what that 
godly fruit produced by the Holy Spirit comes about. Oh, you can manifest some of this on your own from the flesh, but I assure you, experientially, it's so much different to have this produced by the Holy Spirit. I remember one time, I'll never get over it, where I'm sitting there and um, I know I'm needing to resolve a conflict that I had. And from the flesh, I know that I was right. Of course, I'm always right. <laughs> right? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit just convicted my heart. And from the heart, I wanted to say that I was wrong and ask for forgiveness. And let me tell you, that is a, a great experience to have where you recognize the fruit of the Spirit not manifested out of the flesh, but produced by the Holy Spirit that's demonstrated in your life. And beyond that, the blessing of the Holy Spirit is a control of your life. This is where this self-control comes from. To be full of the Holy Spirit, then, doesn't mean to get more. We have all that we have. It means that he has more of us. And Paul would tell the church in Galatia, and an illustration, don't be drunk. You know, where wine can take over your body, and you can be controlled by that. Instead, to do what? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the evidence of being controlled by the Holy Spirit? You have joy in your heart. And you may very well break out in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs and make melody to the Lord. In other words, sing, have some joy, rejoicing in the heart that comes from within, the blessing that God gives us, giving thanks always to God and by his grace then submitting to one another in ways that are appropriate to our various relationships. This blessing leads to the last that I'll mention today. Number five, this fullness of the Spirit, the giving of the Spirit that produces what we would call fruit of the Spirit, satisfaction in Christ, then for those that are in Christ, that blessing will overflow to others by faith. It is how we become a blessing to others. Look at chapter 7 and verse 38, 738. Whoever believes in me, as <clears throat> Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So, so here's the imagery. You, you have this thirst. You, you, you take it in, right? But now it's flowing out. What was there, this spiritual blessing granted to you by the Holy Spirit, now overflows where? It overflows to others. He said this, verse 39, just so that we're clear, about the Spirit whom those believed were, were to receive because he hadn't yet been given because Christ wasn't glorified. So at this point in time, this is a future event. It is a time that exists right now. The, the imagery here of the indwelling Spirit who flows through the believer then like a river that, that, that is continually flowing like streams in the desert, if you will, that overflows. And I know Isaiah talks about a picture of the Messianic kingdom 
a beautiful time in which things will be beyond our imagination in beauty. But there's a taste of it now in which the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer and is able to provide a great blessing in the care, encouragement, comfort, in various ways, all through the work of the Holy Spirit. Do they say Christ in you, the hope of glory? Is that what ultimately comes out? The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is not a, an expression of some sort of bizarre, uncontrollable gyration or senseless babble. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is purposeful. It's beneficial. It's so that we then as believers can be a blessing to one another. And as we confront those that are outside of Christ so that they can see Christ in you. I'll read this one more passage and close with this. If you want to turn there, it's fine. Otherwise, I'll just read it for you. From Paul writing to the church at Philippi in chapter 2. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any, note this, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That, that, that's what it, it is. It's overflowing. How, how does this come about? It is through the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer that ends up being a blessing to all. Be one accord, he says. This is calling for the church to be in unity. And then he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And for me, the only way I could ever attempt, think about attempting that is through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because I'm pretty important to myself. Here, by the power of the Spirit, think of others more important than yourself. Let you not only look to your own interests, of course you're going to, and you should, you need to be responsible, but also the interest of others. Have this mind in you which is in Christ Jesus. Be Christ to one another. Oh, beloved, this morning... I challenge you, and you may want to write it down, and I'll review again in an introductory, I'm sure, next week, but at least five blessings to take home. This blessing that you have, number one, to be a child of God. Number two, to have eternal life. Number three, to be spared of judgment. Number four, to have satisfaction in Jesus Christ right now. Finally, to allow that blessing in you to overflow to everyone in your presence. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you will grant us to have the mind of Christ in our life. I do pray for those that have various burdens that they have to bear. I pray that they would recognize they don't have to bear them alone. Take on Christ. 
I pray that the blessings that we have in Christ will abound greatly, overflowing even into the lives of others. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take a moment now to count your blessings privately. If you're not in Christ, if you haven't confessed and received Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, you can do it even now, not to me, but to Him directly. Take a moment and think on these things. that are ours in Christ Jesus who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. May we praise your holy name, not just this day, but every day to come. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know we're going to have to sing Count Your Blessings, right? And beloved, we, we might be singing this again next week, but I assure you it'll be worth it. Let's stand together. Jerry, you come lead us. Count your blessings. It's 585 in your hymn book. And again, I know this is sounds kind of sing-songy somewhat, but now think of it in terms of the blessings that you have in Christ. Sing this out with great joy. Count your blessings, 585. Gracious Father, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people.
and I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reaches unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth. Amen and amen. We're dismissed. Thank you.